Tonight's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And as Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he lived not in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beseech you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and fetters. But he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them leave. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how he who had been possessed with demons was healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but he sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord. Well, it's a pleasure to be here today, and this is probably the first time I've preached from a pulpit since last time I guest preached with y'all. So I'm not used to this. I'm feeling a little bit claustrophobic, but um, I'll do my best. Before I begin, I want to uh, make one announcement that I forgot to tell Debbie about, and that, um, that is that we at Zion and some neighborhood partners are sponsoring a music festival on July 14th between noon and 4, and the music will uh, include... Uh, Eric Brandt and, oh, and Jeremy as well. Um, and uh, we're also going to have Shababa, uh, Brazilian and world jazz. So, and that, if weather permitting, outside with a barbecue. So, spread the word. Um, <clears throat> so, the title um, What the Hell? I, you know, it's really not a very good title, and um, it just kind of like, when I, le- when I saw the scripture for the day, it just popped into my head. 
You know, like, what the hell? What do we do with this? What do we do with these stories about demons that really are pretty frequent throughout the Gospels and especially in Luke? Um, So not a great title, and it's not exactly going to be about hell, uh, though the demonic is usually associated with hell. But that's what I want to talk about. I want to go there, and that's one of the things that I kind of like to do. Um, I love these stories. I find so much richness in them, and especially I'm interested to go at that which seems either most either foreign or even off-putting to us, because often it's in those texts that we have perhaps the most light to gain. So I'd like to just begin with a question for you, which is this. Have you ever had an experience in your life or approximate to your, uh, to your lived experience that you would call demonic? Raise your hand. A couple people. Not too many. It's not a category that we use very much these days. It's not culturally uh, uh, used much. But we live in a culture that uh, describes the kinds of things that are ascribed to demons or the demonic. We describe them as mental illness. And as the last time I read the latest version of the DSM, I believe it's the DSM-5 now, um, I didn't see the demonic in there as a category or a diagnosis. So my question is this, is there something there for us? Is there something there in that ancient worldview, that more primitive worldview? That, by the way, is a worldview that is shared still today by many cultures around the world, including cultures among us. That worldview that views the world as animated or inspirited, all of nature and all of the natural world inspirited. by different kinds of spirits. And is there something in that way of thinking that might be valuable, even true? Now Jesus, it says in Luke, is in the beginning part of his ministry. Now, he's already cast out seven demons from somebody who had become one of his followers, one of the three women who are named as followers of his and supporters of his work. And time and time again, he's already getting into trouble for doing things that are regarded by the establishment around him as unclean. He's breaking the Sabbath. He's dining with people who are regarded as notorious sinners. He 
He helps a Roman centurion who is in need of healing for his family and remarks afterward that he's never seen faith like this among his fellow Jews. And now this is like the ultimate unclean situation. He's crossed over the Sea of Galilee and he's in the land of the Gerasenes, it says. Now that's already outside the boundaries. The land of the Gerasenes, the Gentile, it's a Gentile land. And he's met there by a young man who is, it says, possessed by demons, who recognizes him and screams out, get away from me. What have you to do with us? Now it also says that nearby there's a herd of pigs. Now that's unclean. And he's living in a graveyard in the tombs. Now that's unclean. And he's living naked. And that's unclean. This guy's unclean. He's the epitome of unclean. And I think Luke is telling the story in this way to make a powerful point about what is clean and what is unclean. And this young man, this possessed man, is the epitome of uncleanness for a Jewish mind. And what does Jesus do? Now keep in mind also that this, this young man, has, they've tried to bind him with chains and he's got kind of like superhuman strength. I mean, this guy's dangerous. And people kept their distance. He did not live in the community. He lived outside the community. And the community, I'm sure, kept their distance from this person. And what does Jesus do? He goes right to him. Right to him. And he asks his name. And the demons respond, We are legion, for there are many of us in him. Keep in mind also that this land, as well as all that region, was under Roman occupation. A brutal military occupation which was violent and abusive. Roman legions were well known for what they did to local populations, raping, stealing, pillaging, profiting. It's as if to suggest that the demonic oppression that this somehow, especially vulnerable young man was experiencing, was not just about him. But he was suffering from something that was 
larger than him, larger than the choices he personally had made, larger than his own personal moral character. This was something transpersonal, something that the entire community was involved in and experiencing. And it settled upon him in a particular way that resulted in a kind of violence, a kind of unclean living, where he is a danger to himself and to others. And that demonic power rests on him and flourishes in his isolation. Now, all along the way, leading up to this passage, Luke has been exploring the ways in which Jesus is upsetting the accepted notions of what is clean and what is not clean. And in each and every instance, what he does is he says, what's really important here is the person. The person in need of healing, who he heals on the Sabbath. The woman who breaks an alabaster jar and anoints Jesus' feet and wipes with his hair in an almost embarrassing scene that Jesus gets criticized for because she is a notorious sinner. And he says, yes, but whoever is forgiven much will love much. In each instance, Jesus continues to see and to recognize the person, and now in this almost unrecognizable form, yet he sees a child of God. And he goes toward that man and he touches him. And he names the oppression that is not simply about him but rather an illness that is part of the larger community in which he lives. And he names it, and in the power of love, the demons leave him, and it says he's restored to his right mind. I've been thinking about this passage because we just passed the four-year anniversary of the shooting in Charleston at Mother Emanuel Church, where nine people were killed, three more were wounded, by a young man by the name of Dylan Roof. I've been thinking about it because a movie was just released, a documentary that describes this situation. And I remember hearing at the time that there was some kind of a remarkable response on the part of the Congregation of Forgiveness toward Dylan Roof. But I didn't know much more about it. 
And what I learned in this movie was that after this had happened, in a mere eight days, after this young man who had imbibed deeply from the well of racism and racial hatred, eight days after he walked into a Bible study where he was warmly welcomed by the people there and in cold blood shot, dead, nine people. He had a bail hearing one week later and the family members of the people who were killed were in the courtroom. And in a surprise move on the part of the judge, unexpected by anyone, he asked if any of those present, any of those family members present, wanted to say anything to Dylan Roof. This is not the sentencing. This is the pretrial. Eight days. And the first woman gets up, whose mother had been killed, and she looked over at Dylan Roof and said, I want you to know one thing. I forgive you. And then a husband gets up whose wife was killed and says the same thing. And then two more get up and say the same thing. Four. I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be frank with you. I found it all a bit disturbing and worrisome. Now, not everybody in that courtroom forgave. The sister of the one whose mother had been shot said she does not forgive. And others say the same. So it wasn't as one that everybody forgave Dylan Roof. And I worry about how this film is being used in the context of racist America. Once again, calling on people of color to forgive the racism that they experience. However, I can't help thinking that the power and the ability of these people eight days after the slaying of their loved ones, the ability of them to look at Dylan Roof and say, I forgive you, can only be explained, at least in my mind, by the fact that they understand deeply in their bones and from their own experience of racist America that this wasn't about a lone wolf. This was not about a monster. These are the terms that the media uses. This was not about a wacko. This was about a young man possessed by something very alive 
and very powerful among us. That we've all participated in. And so when Leonard Cohen says, I've seen some demons, and they're all distinctly middle class, I think there's a word here for us a word of warning about the way in which we ourselves participate, but also the way in which there's a possibility if we see the person and realize that every person is clean. Every person is a child of God, no matter how unclean they may seem. 